to the Bookworm in association with Starburst magazine and you're listening of course to FabRadioInternational.com and I'm here with Name Faiz. So on today's show I will be talking about uh, Genevieve Hogman's latest uh, invisible library book The Masked City. Ooh um, and I'll be um, taking a look at Mockingjay considering the second part of the movie just came out at the cinema. So but first up, we have book news. Today, while I was listening to FabRadioInternational.com, I accidentally poked myself in the eye with a canoe. So, um, let's leap straight into it. Um, shall we talk about the World Fantasy Award, who have abandoned the Lovecraft buff? Bust. Buff? Bust. Um, <laughs> buff? Buff. So, um, yeah, uh, excuse the shuffling of papers, by the way, but you should be used to this because you're into books. So, you know, it's all good. <laughs> uh, So, yeah, um, H.P. Lovecraft has been the World Fantasy Award bust. So you've had this... You, you, there'll be pictures on all social media where you can find us on Radio Bookworm, on Facebook, Twitter, and on Tumblr. Look how smoothly I did that. Uh, it's slightly ruined by the fact that I went, oh, look how smoothly I did that. It's a really weird sort of looking bust. It's a really look, weird looking sort of face. Um, he's kind of... He's kind of like... H.P. Ah. Lovecraft was not the most handsome of men, shall we say. But... The actual bust is just kind of... He looks mutant and squamous and strange and a, and, and a bit peculiar, shall we say. So, yeah. So, um, I think, I mean, my, most of the controversies about um, H.P. Lovecraft's personal stances, um, shall we say. <laughs> well, this that, isn't there? I mean, he was... Let, let's, let's be blunt. He was an enormous racist. Mm. Um... Yeah, um, Sophia Samata, who won um, at one of the awards in 2014, um, when she gave her speech, um, sort of remarked on the fact that there was this giant elephant in the room and that she couldn't be as thrilled as she was as she would normally be accepting this award as a woman of colour. Um, and obviously, she she later went and explained what what she meant in her um, blog in a blog, blog post. Um, but yeah, um, so so Gordon Van Gelder um, has made an announcement to the effect of um, that the board is taking the issue very seriously, but they haven't made a decision yet. 
Well, they and have. And now had. they have. They, they, they have, in fact, made the decision. The thing is, now idiots on the internet have, like, oh, it's outrageous, it's outrageous that they're getting rid of H.P. Lovecraft. But HP, if I say to you the name H.P. Lovecraft, it, which, which kind of thing do you associate with it? Cthulhu. Exactly, and Cthulhu is not exactly fantasy. Cthulhu is horror. So I've never understood why he's the World Fantasy Award. I mean, if the World Fantasy Award is going to be all about, you know, fantasy, surely it should be something generic and fantasy-ish. Hmm. Like, a wizard's know, hat. Well, the Gimel Awards has swords, which works quite well. Um, like, you know, swords, are, swords and fantasy are fairly well associated with each other. Dragons. Yeah, so, so, magic. Magic. Drag- oh, dragon. Make it a dragon. Why not? Yes. Why, why not make it of the same kind of mass and shape and general style as as the Hugo Rocket? Mm-hmm. Because I think World Fantasy Award, and then I also think World Science Fiction Award, because I think fantasy and science fiction. Yeah. So. So have rockets and and have a dragon, Dra- dragons and rockets. But and and the World Horror Award, I don't know what you would do for the World Horror Award, but I wouldn't have someone's actual face. No, I I mean, there's several things that you could sort of attach to 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 horror. Um, You know, you you could just have you could just have like a a knife dripping blood. (laughs) Maybe a murder weapon. A ghost. We were talking about this in the car yesterday. We were coming back from Edgelit, which we'll talk about later. Edgelit, but yes. Um, we were talking about that in the car, and I was like, well, why not make the world crime, world, you know, alibi style award? Why not make that a murder weapon? Because that would be surely appropriate. You could use that. You I- could do, oh my god, you could do like Cluedo style, so every year you'll rotate, you'll get, you know, the candelabra, you'll get the, the, the rope, the, spanner, the rope, spanner. Piece. That would be pipe. so freaking cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's do it Cluedo style. So fantasy, so fantasy world, you'd have what? Dragon? Sword, uh-huh. wizard's hat. Yeah, yeah. So, cool. have we just invented fantasy Cluedo? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And well, the thing Fanch- is, authors could compete to have the complete set. Well, you see, like, like you would want to make that book amazing because you would want to in the one the year after when it's going to be weirdly different. like Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> I know, right? It would be amazing. You see, I, I like the idea of board game themed award so many <laughs> trophies because it means that you know if you're the best monopoly in the world <laughs> one year you get a hat then you get a dog then you get a race car <laughs> and, and, and so on uh, shall we move on shall but you we... hate monopoly I, I absolutely hate monopoly I love monopoly different conversation that's because it's the only game you've played because it's monopoly and it's got a monopoly on you you see no that's not true then, but, uh... <laughs> no <laughs> I have many games and I have played many games I just love monopoly I have good memories about monopoly of playing with my brother yeah, it's, 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 it's th- that's the thing that brings people back. I've been drawn into a conversation about monopoly. Yay! Move on, move, move on. on. That sex in fiction award 2015. Oh, Morrissey tip to win. <laughs> I just giggling. like to use the words bulbous salutation. Bulbous salutation. I would like yeah. to point out that this is this is a morning relatively you you PG PG rated show. 
Um, this is this is if you're listening to listening to us live, you're listening to us on Sunday morning, of course. If you listen to us on podcast, you could be listening to us at any time. So, 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 what is this award? It was established 23 years ago by the Literary Review to draw attention to poorly written, perfunctory, or redundant passages of sexual description in modern fiction, and to discourage them. How how many times has has Fifty Shades won it? I don't think it ever. Um, yeah, no, it should really? no be because the whilst whilst there are issues in that book of agency consent and what the heck health yeah. relationship is. My understanding is the sex is not well. No, I think the sex is terribly weird, isn't it? But it's it's not as bad as some of these. Um, oh, we will post the link on our Facebook and our <laughs> Tumblr. Um, um, oh, good grief! There's a Guardian article that has extracts from the nominees, and oh, it's it's absolutely terrible to the point where you get, where you are seriously wondering whether any of these people have ever actually had sex and you start scanning it and you start going okay so these books are written by men so you can maybe understand that they don't have a clue how sex feels like for a woman but maybe they could have asked somebody but it may be understandable and then you realize that some of them have been written by women oh yeah erica yeah yeah who who also who also appears to have no clue how sex feels for a woman Mm. It, but, but the whole thing is is very disturbing and it's and very strange Jeez. word choices for body parts, um, and I I'm think I'm getting the impression that some people um, are sort of so desperate to make a metaphor of it to avoid you know being accused of writing just straight up porn mm. that that but but they've used such deeply embedded metaphors that that what the heck they're trying to say becomes lost. I think one of the problems that we actually have as well is that writers just do not certain sorts of writers do not read romantic fiction because they feel for some ridiculous reason that they're above it so I they, love romantic fiction if it's well written and, and you know I love a bit of smart if it's well written but if you don't if you don't read enough or broadly about on any topic you can't write well about it no it's very true actually so it doesn't matter how much life experience you have on the subject you no. know you, you if you don't read broadly and well on the subject then you can I mean, I find it hard to believe that Morrissey hasn't been laid enough. <laughs> but, but you know, B- bulbous salutation is his. Sure. Um, I would, I would say here, you know, I, I dabble in writing smut as as Ed and Infra are aware, and and it is profoundly uncomfortable to write because you are going well hang on if that person's there and that person's there and that's connecting to that and mm. and and your word choice for parts of the body is sometimes like oh and it is difficult to write but you know either either do the iris fade to black oh yeah and move on which is perfectly <laughs> acceptable by the way yeah, absolutely. there is no no shame in going you know and then they fell on the bed yeah or the sofa or the kitchen counter. Yes. It's and then they fell on the bed fine. and made love. Exactly. Stop. stop. Full stop. Next chapter. Next chapter. <laughs> it's the morning. It's been a wonderful night. They can talk about it. You don't have to say, you know, those uncomfortable words if you don't want to. Um, if you can write action, mm-hmm. you can write a fight scene. And oh, if yeah. you can write action, you can write a love scene. Yeah. And I think we should move... This is one of the things that uh, we did yesterday at Sledge Lit. Should we move on to talk about Sledge Lit? Shall we? Yeah, because I I was quite heavily in the the workshops at Sledge Lit yesterday and I did uh, Tony Valentine's and the thing he does is is even though he's like, this is obviously a genre event, it's about sci-fi, fantasy, horror, it's about writing those, uh, and even though uh, that's what you'll be here to talk about because you're talking about relationships between people it's like the way I always do this when I'm doing the workshop in schools is I get everybody to write a thousand word romance story because if you can write the romance and do that convincingly then you can write relationships between people in any other genre yeah 
than any other situation. So Sledgelet was a lot of fun. Uh, myself and producer Al went. Uh, Sledgelet was sponsored by Starburst Magazine. Um, I'd get that in there. Um, if you've not been before, uh, now this might be boring if you're listening to us from not the United Kingdom, but it's based in Derby, which is where is Derby on the map? <laughs> It's roughly in the middle. It's roughly in the middle of the country. And it's sort of an indie and it's an indie publishers meeting and it's also a mainstream a mainstream genre publishers platform, meetup platform yeah. and meetup. And they kind of but it's open to the public. So as a member of the public you can just turn up, you pay your twenty five quid, you turn up. But it's it's sort of really cleverly done because the way it works is the the kind of the publishing types book early and turn up because they know that everyone else is going to be there. So they yeah. turn up for, for a bit of a chat. And the tickets sell out relatively quickly. So And there's only about 200... Did you rate about 200 people at the most? Um, I, I You know what? Because I spent virtually the entire day yesterday in workshops, I have no clue how many other people were at this thing. Sounds about right. No, two, but yeah, 200, but, I, but I, I would say like 250-ish for Edgelet. Yeah, I think yesterday, because it was the first time they've done it, was maybe a little bit smaller. But um, yes... So, yes, a little bit smaller for Sledgelet because normally you just have one in the summer and this was one in the winter, hence the name Sledgelet because sledges. Um, and it was all right. Because Christmas. Because Christmas. It was all right, I think. I think it did quite well. I, uh, I had a really great day. I really enjoyed it. As I say, I spent most of the day sat in workshops and that was really good fun. See, I, that's the, I like the formula with Edgelet and I'm guessing Sledgelet was exactly the same where, you know, you've got book launches where you'll sit down and there'll be people from the business and, and the author will be there and they'll talk about this one or many new releases within that that um, publisher or author um, then you have the workshops where you actually sit down with, with authors and people from the business and they tell you, you know, here's how I approach writing writing certain specific things or, or generally writing here's how I approach, you know um, submitting a manuscript to to um, an agent. Here's how me agent, um, how I like my stuff to be submitted, and and it's you know they last about twenty minutes to half hour, uh, sometimes a little bit longer depending on what they have available, um, and and it's just a lovely insight and a very useful one into what to do if you want to be a professional writer and you want to get paid for your art and and you really want, but even even as as an amateur you know you, you can still learn a lot uh, about the business of writing and then that's it um you know I, one of the things is is for anything creative now there are workshops and courses and all the rest of it who are desperate to take your money off you and to tell you that by the time you get to the end of it you will be an actor or a writer or whatever mm. and they promise the end of the world and you can spend hundreds and hundreds of pounds on courses going to stuff and yeah you might get some skills and whatever but you won't necessarily get anywhere in your chosen field of doing whatever professionally yeah, true. whereas you know Sledgelet is 25 quid yeah it's for the day and, and spending the day yeah. with your favourite authors uh, talking books reading books uh, listening to to panels um, taking part into you know the skill building workshops and it's fantastic good value for yeah. a and lovely you, day out certainly from the workshops you got as much as I, I suspect you would from you know a week of courses that cost 
£500,000. Oh, God, yeah. I remember when I first started seeing those. Sledgelet was not as large as Edgelet. No. Uh, but it was, it's the first time they've tried it, so that was quite fun. So they're starting small, which is the sensible way, way to do things. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, we, we got a Christmas card and uh, Christmas crackers as well, which Yay. we still haven't opened. I, uh, I got a little mini pack of Haribo, which I'm not eating yet. <laughs> we might make a little video about that and put it on some That'll sort of cool. social media thing. But um, what other things do we have in the news? Um, we have uh, Matt Haig embarks on a Christmas book tour. Um, he's uh, written a thing called <coughs> uh, he's written a thing called A Boy Called Christmas, um, where he's going to be touring around the United Kingdom over the Christmas period. Um, it's about ah, it's about the early life of Father Christmas. Ooh. So it's Santa Begins. Oh. <laughs> the, in the, the origin story. Yeah, set in the 18th century Finland <laughs> and takes talks about the early life of Father Christmas. Is, is uh-huh. Father Christmas from Finland? I thought he was more Arctic Circle-ish. Well, oh. I mean, Finland is up there, that way, isn't it? But I, thought, I always, I don't know why I always just thought Santa was more is Norway. Not, is it not another face of Odin? Possibly. What we should do is we should wait for um, occasional co-host of the show, Cy Lloyd, to get back from his current jaunt to mm. the Arctic Circle and ask him. Did you meet Santa? Mm. Was there a house with Santa was born yeah. here? Which country were you in? That would be mm. amazing. <laughs> but I, I think Santa's international, personally, like Batman. But he's been adopted around, but really he must have a place where he was born. Everybody does. But, um, uh, I like to think he came from a pig. From a pig? <laughs> What is this? Is this a Mediterranean cultural hog. thing? Uh, oh, no. oh hogfathers! Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I had to go there. Privately <laughs> run libraries plan passed. Um, so uh, the future of fifty Devon libraries was secured last week after council members passed a plan to set up a new private organisation owned by a staff that will run the library services. Western Morning News has, re- um, has reported the the move to create Libraries Unlimited Southwest. Libraries Unlimited. Excellent. I like that as a as a name, like Justice League Unlimited, but, you know, <laughs> library. Um, essentially, they've they've gone public private partnership with this, which is mm. an interesting approach. At uh, least they're keeping the flipping libraries open. They, they've secured um, a future 1.5 million in addition to 3 million that has already been saved from its library service budgets over the last three years. So essentially, Devon has had enough nous and money to set something aside to set up uh, um, uh, private independent services. Oh, we need libraries. It's a matter of civilization. And somewhere like libraries. Devon, which is quite um, sparsely populated in, in, in areas. So, so, you know, it's not like if you live in a small town that happens to have a library and that library shuts, it's not like the next one's going to be 20 minutes away. It's going to be four hours. No. And some of these places, you know, don't have cinemas, don't yeah. have yeah. that kind of entertainment. So, mm. you know, being able to go and, and, and take, pick a book in your library mm. or some libraries do DVDs yeah. and videos and things like that, that's a, a massive contribution to, to that small village uh, to the entertainment quality and, and the life quality. So yeah, I, I'm all for that. I mean, it's really sad that the government can't see the benefit of, of keeping those libraries yeah, going. Well, there's no money in it, is there? Sorry, yeah. I, hate, I hate to be cynical. Yeah, it's true though, isn't it? it? It's not about being cynical, it's about being obvious at this point, but they don't don't care because, you know, unless unless you get the money now, what what does it matter if that kid that has that library and goes there and reads and tomorrow becomes, you know, a famous 
author or mm. artist or or a politician. Tony or, Warren, who um, came up with the concept of Coronation Street, spent his school holidays in Manchester Central Library, which we were just down the corner from. Mm-hmm. Um, and he spent his school holidays reading everything he could find on the shelves of Manchester Central Library, and all of that percolated through his brain, and, you know, lo and behold, world's longest running soap opera in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I, I lived in libraries as a kid, pretty much, mm. because... I did, this, I did the same thing. We didn't have a library, um. but we had an amazingly well-stocked um, bookstore, um, and I was lucky enough that my parents could afford to buy me books, and I remember like being very, very little and wondering and the 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 owner of the shop knew me so well that he would just say, just just go back and there will be shelves and shelves of books because obviously he couldn't have everything out on display. So he just rotated a bunch of books and I would go in and just spend half a day just looking and that's where I picked up my first Shakespeare. Mm. There was a um, a version accessible for young people with p- beautiful little pictures oh, and stuff. Right. It was gorgeous. I still have it at home at wow. my mum's and that's where I picked up Wuthering Heights and all of the Anne of Green Gables books and all of the uh, Louise May Alcott's um, Little Women and you know but I was lucky, not everyone's that lucky and having you know a library card that's free and for you to go and roam that would have been like heaven and I remembered like wishing that we had a library where I lived because the sound of going in and just picking up whatever books I wanted and reading them that was like heaven to me. My local library was A massive, B had a basement Oh. And the basement had an archive. Oh, <laughs> that sounds and it, amazing. And it was a local history archive. That yeah. sounds like the beginning of a book. It does. My yeah. local library was huge. It had a basement, basement, and the basement had an archive. I got I got trapped in the stacks once. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> and I just sat in the stacks reading old copies of the South Shields Gazette. <laughs> and they went all the way back to when it was just a fishing report wow so i just uh, and you know it must have been like eight or nine and i shouldn't have been there i used, used to pick these things out and read them but anyway talking so, of libraries ooh. i think coming up next i'll review the mask city which is the second book in the invisible library series first book the invisible library she has written a sequel the masked city so um for those of you who weren't paying attention at the back the setup of the invisible library is this there is a vast interdimensional transdimensional transreality trans whatever library um it spans everywhere where there is a book where there is enough significant sufficient stacks of books in the world you can get in and out of that world. You can travel through this vast interdimensional library, providing that you're a librarian and you have your library name, your librarian name, branded on your 
back in the language. The language, of course, is the true language of communication and the true language of books, and it defines things. So if you know the language, simply enunciating properly allows you to slightly change reality. It works better on things rather than people, mm. but it's a sort of magic, but it's a sort of magic by defining things. It's the magic of definition. Yeah. It's proper naming magic. Um, I'm sure there's a fancy Egyptian name for it and everything. Oh, yeah. So... Um, we are introduced in the first book to Irene. Irene is a relatively young librarian. She doesn't know her parents. Her parents were both librarians. Uh, as an agent of the library, this this vast interdimensional thing, her, her name obviously is named after a fictional character because they all pick up names from various places. But she, Her name is Irene. It's a pseudonym, so we don't actually know what her real name is, but then we don't know the real names of any librarians. In the first book, we um, she, she essentially self-assigned herself or sort of found herself doing a lot of work in a particular alternate reality that is very steampunk. So it's got zeppelins, it's got fairies, uh, it's got werewolves, it's got, you know, clockwork monsters mm-hmm. and magic. And here's the interesting thing about fairies in this world. Fairies are creatures of chaos. Mm-hmm. And the further into real- into the pan realities you get, the more chaotic it gets, and the more fairies you get. If you go in the opposite direction towards order, you get dragons. Dragons are creatures of order. They like you know things ordered and stacked and nicely arranged, mm-hmm. so they can sit on them mostly. But you know things ordered and stacked and nicely arranged. Dragons on the other side, they are creatures of order. I mean, I mean, works mostly in a. Um, in a steampunk style reality and she's working with Kai who is a work experience intern at the library who also happens to be a member of Draconic Royalty. Mm. She's also working with Mr Vale. Vale is a great detective. He's a great Victorian detective. So it's not great at all. Um, he is in fact He's a little Sherlock bit sexist. Oh. He's a little bit sexist. He is in fact uh, a Sherlock Holmes equivalent <coughs> uh, and he does his Sherlock Holmes thing uh, at one point in the first book, they go, hang on, you are quite Sherlock, Sherlock Holmesy, and he's like, who? And it's because the steampunk world is very um, fairy-controlled, or slowly slipping into fairy-control, so it becomes more narrative than order-based. Mm-hmm. So rather than based on science and just things happening, it's based on people's narrative. So willpower, free will, is slowly eroding. Anyway, that's enough setup because I've gone on about, about that for a bit. What happens is this. Kai, this is on the blurb, Kai gets kidnapped by fairies Kai's a dragon this will start a war between dragons and fairies dragons and fairies chaos and terrible, that's, terrible. that sounds bad that's uh, not a bad thing so she had so that's quite a bad thing so she has to go go and see Kai's relatives go to see Kai's family it's brilliant when she goes to dragon controlled worlds it's all uh, skyscrapers and drones and security cameras and tasers more cyberpunk more super future <laughs> everything's digital um, she has difficulty actually finding a, a, a big enough library at the start because obviously everything's online and archived and when she meets the dragon she meets the dragon in his horde guess where his horde is it's on top of a skyscraper obviously mm. he owns a, he owns a, a mega corporation <laughs> because if you're a dragon of course you would that's your horde Oh, you'd, God. you'd be sitting on the top of a huge skyscraper, wouldn't you? Mm. So that's really nicely done. And then obviously she has to go deep, 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 deep into the, the fairy realms to rescue Kai, who she's rather fond of. Aww. Um, 
Is it any good? Yes, it's great fun. Um, uh, what I really like about the Genevieve Cogman book so far is that they're just packed full of ideas and they're just silly fun. There's a lot of magic in this. There's a lot of kind of reality twisting. I, I love the idea that they can hop from reality to reality mostly through libraries. Mm. But there are hazards involved. If you go to the wrong... If you go to somewhere that's too chaotic, you might find yourself like the deep stacks and you might get lost for years mm. if you if you can't navigate yourself properly around the library. Uh, and some places are simply too chaotic to get to via via usual means. There is a train involved. Ooh. Um, she has to travel by a very specific sort of train. And it's very cleverly done, actually, the whole mythic side of things. Um, oddly enough, there's a, there's two essays in this as well. There's one that sets up the world, so it gives you a idea what the world is about. Um, and there's a, a list of, favorite, oh, of Irene's favourite books... Hmm. that she's got from other realities. So books that actually don't exist, like The Lighthouse by Edgar Allan Poe um, is one of them that she's, she's she's talking about the time that she recovered it. Lady Catherine's Denial by Jane Austen oh. is one of the books that she um, she has apparently retrieved from a distant reality. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so there's a, there's a bit of... There's a bit of filler on either end, and that does seem like a bit of an odd choice to me, because there's plenty in here to begin with. But it's just... I understand that there's a third one on its way and it's being worked on. Uh, it's currently intended as a trilogy. I get the feeling that it might end up becoming a series. I do mm. hope it ends up becoming a series. It, it sounds it? ripe for a series, and that's an ongoing Because there's so thing. much. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah. There's so many I mean, she might cover. decide to just complete Aryan's story in the third book and then just move on somewhere else in the world. Because it's big enough. I want to know more about Vale. I want to know more about Silver, who's this, this very charming fairy lord. Mm. He keeps turning up, and he's described as a dilettant by more um, more militant fairies. <laughs> they don't particularly like him because he's like too absorbed in his own story and this sort of thing, which I think is absolutely charming. So that is the ma- <coughs> so that is the Mask City by Genevieve Cogman. Um, it is uh, Pan Macmillan, so talk. Um, yeah, and it's out in a couple of weeks' time. So we were lucky enough to catch up with Steve Aaron at uh, Sledge Lit. Uh, apologies in advance for some of the sound quality. We did this in a cafe. This is Fab Radio International. International. Welcome to the book. Thank you very much. So tell us about your book. <laughs> okay, certainly depends. Um, my book, Battle Mage, is the first in a trilogy called The Age of Darkness. It's epic fantasy epic fantasy and it's a mix of traditional tropes from fantasy but with modern storytelling so I wanted to bring in some of the aspects that I'd not seen in epic fantasy stories in a while that I grew up with that other people hadn't touched on but do with a modern storytelling so I wanted non-human races I wanted overt magic I wanted it to feel like a proper fantasy novel and not be sort of afraid of using some of those things front and centre. Some of the most popular fantasy series at the moment begin have some of that stuff, but they sort of creep it in around the edges. I wanted from page one you to know that there's proper weirdness and we're not in our world. It's somewhere completely different. 
is high fantasy back as a thing? I don't know. This is this is always the thing. You can't write to a trend, and you can't write uh, to try and meet a wave. So all you can kind of do is write to see the kind of thing you'd like to be reading, and that's that's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see more epicness, more overt stuff. And you have great people out there doing it, like Brandon Sanderson and Peter Brett, and and I wanted to see to more of that with stuff in your face. So. I guess that's up to the readers to decide whether or not it's back or not. There, I've seen the argument that British fantasy tends to be darker and American fantasy tends to be brighter. But your work sounds more bright and more broad. Where did that come from? Where did that idea to, to have a brighter sort of fantasy world? I'm not sure. Um, the, the, the grim dark has been overused now as a phrase. People talk about it a lot. I don't think my work is grimdark at all I think it's kind of gone round what people call grimdark may have started here in the UK and one of my biggest influences is David Gemmell and he had very grey characters so in my work I've got some very grey characters as well but I also want that sense of optimism and maybe that's where it comes from that I want there to be people who do good things for good reasons and they don't have an ulterior motive so I don't know if Amer- Americans do that as well, or we're saying we don't, or they do, but I don't know. I think I wanted to have some people that I could get behind a character that I would want to support, not just because they are the main character, but because there's something good within them that I could follow or appreciate. So, Why the focus on non-human races, and what makes them distinct from the race that we're all familiar with? Humans. Yeah. <laughs> When you in some fancy novels they have lots of different tribes and then they start to explain them but ultimately they're still human beings. Tolkien had you know orcs and dwarves and goblins and so on. I wanted to create something completely whole cloth that if I have a human they do this kind of thing if I have a non-human race I can kind of start from scratch they weren't originally apes they didn't evolve from apes and so on they're, they're something completely different so their attitudes are different their approaches are different their physiology is different their anatomy is different and it allows me to go in unexpected directions and not have to justify certain things by saying oh but that's because this tribe was influenced by this and that's why they do something it's just that's how this race has always been, that's how they've always lived for thousands of years, and I can then build on that and go in... It, 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 it's quite freeing in a way, I think. Where is fantasy going? I mean, we, we are currently in a kind of heyday of the Game of Thrones, uh, the Stone to Shannara is about to come out, we have, we've had loads of Hobbit movies and Tolkien movies. Can this sustain? Are we, you know, are we in a golden age? Or, you know, is it going to get better or worse? I think we're in a golden age of fiction and and entertainment in general. People are saying things like, the comic book movie bubble must burst. I actually think that is now just another genre of films you'll have at the cinema going forward. And equally, fantasy may have started off with what we call epic fantasy or traditional fantasy. It's split in so many different areas now. I think we're in a golden age and it will continue I think some some parts will become less popular and you'll get less books in that area for a certain period of time but then they might come up again so for years horror the number of horror books being published seemed to be in decline and then it's come back up again because of certain very popular uh, writers and I think fantasy is the same I think urban fantasy has become incredibly popular with the films and the TV 
I think epic fantasy is perhaps on the rise because of some of the great uh, TV shows that are based on the, things like Game of Thrones, you said, and the Soldier Shannara and books by Terry Brooks. Um, I think we're going to see more of it. I think we're going to see new stuff that we haven't anticipated being developed for TV, for film, for comics, for games. Um, I think now because there's so many different types of media that we can adapt things for and develop them into new products, I think the sky's the limit. But I think there will be some change. Things will certainly shift about as popularity of certain things wax and wane. For you, what's the next big thing? What's your next big project? Oh, my next big project. So the trilogy, the first trilogy is done. Um, now I'm in that period where I'm thinking about about what next. Um, I'm probably going to do another trilogy set within the same world, but I'm in the very early stages of developing it at the moment. So I'm, I'm feeding my brain with lots of creative stuff, lots of great TV and film and comics and books, and I'm shoving it all in my brain at the moment. I'm currently just thinking about what next, so uh, I can't really say too much. Um, if you got to write in someone else's playbiz or write in someone else's world, what would that be? I'd love to write in Jim Butcher's Dresden universe. There are certain characters that are very small I find fascinating. I'd love to see spin-offs for, or just a side project or a standalone book, uh, or even a prequel things that I'd love to see. And I, you know, it's something I had in mind. I asked him about it at EasterCon, and he said, "Oh, I hadn't thought about that." So it's obviously you know, it wasn't a priority for him. It's not something he wanted to develop. But I would love to do that. Is genre as diverse as it thinks it is? I think so. I think it's incredibly diverse right now. I think there's so much going on across, as I said, all medium, all kinds of entertainment. That There's stuff coming up all the time with transmedia, that things are blending together, that people don't just want one thing in one flavour. They want it across lots of different things. And the internet has made making things a lot easier, films and e-books and all this kind of stuff. So... I think it's incredibly diverse right now. Um, almost there. Uh, if you were trapped on a desert island and you only had one book for company, what would it be? <laughs> oh, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'd have to pick a giant anthology of something. Something that had tons and tons of stories in. I don't know. I mean, like the complete works of, I don't know, Arthur Conan Doyle or Robert E. Howard or something massive that I could start... A- one week, by the time I got to the end of it, I'm probably starting to forget about some of the earlier stories. So, three very silly quick questions Go on. to finish. Simpsons or Futurama? Simpsons. Wizards or Warriors? Warriors, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, Truth or Beauty? Truth. Stephen Aaron, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Ed. This is Fab Radio International. International. And thank you very much to Stephen Owen, and that was actually apologies for any sound interference there. Linfa, you appear to have a book in your hand. I have a book, and um, I have a book that was we've sort of already kind of talked about in the past because we did do a Hunger Games um, review some some many many shows ago now. Um, but considering the the last movie just came out this past week, 
um, I thought it'd be nice to sort of have an overview. Um, more than a review, it's almost like a comparison to what the movie is and, and how that worked out for them, if that makes sense. So this is the third book in the Hunger Games trilogy. It's called Mockingjay by Susan Collins. Um, if you've never heard of these books, where have you been? Um and um, do, 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 this is a scholastic teen uh, imprint um, for those interested in the publisher. Um, so, um, Mockingjay is the conclusion to the Hunger Games story and Katniss Everdeen's story. Um, as I said, the, the Mockingjay part two, the last movie in the franchise, has just come out. And on Wednesday night, uh, me and a friend uh, went off, trotted to the cinema at nine o'clock at night, uh, watched Mockingjay Part One, and at 12.05, we were treated to the very first midnight showing of the Part Two. So it was sort of like old-time cinema when you had uh, a little... um, break in the middle and you'd go for more popcorn and a drink and then sat down and finished a movie so it felt very much like one movie where you just got a little bit of a 10 minute break in between um now um as a massive um appreciation appreciator of the of the trilogy i was really excited about the movie and um although i know a lot of people went and reread the books um because there's this trend where oh the the last movie is coming out or the next movie in the franchise is coming out uh, i'm gonna go and rewatch the movies and or reread the books up to that point to see how how it progresses i didn't and um, what I did was I reread Mockingjay um, in bits, just sort of randomly sifting through the pages after I watched the movie because I had that very sort of strong feeling that they'd been really incredibly close to the book in terms of how they followed the story. Um, what I found was that I they they literally lifted the dialogue of most of the movie out of the book and and um and it was that faithful so um just just as a general try not to give too many spoilers um but you know the books have been out for like yonks so meh if i do spoiler you i'm really sorry um (laughs) but if i don't meh um so um Katniss is now the face of the revolution. So after surviving two Hunger Games, um, she's been taken to District 13, um, where she's discovered that what everyone thought was was a um, wasteland of death and and um, where nothing grows. Actually, there's a whole population there that lives underground. And the reason why the, the capital has sort of left them be is because they're guarding um, a massive arsenal. Um, so, so they live in this in this um, military bunker, uh, very much military style, and she has to get sort of used to this this new um, way of living. 
which is really hard because you know she was used to uh district 12 where you know yes it was the mines but mainly you were out and and she could sneak out and hunt and all of those things and that's something you can't do that uh, but the main focus of the story is how she how they basically make her into the face of this revolution against the capital how she then becomes the symbol of the fight against the oppressors and how she unites uh, all of the um districts against um the capital um sort of to try and and change how things are um and that's the focus of the book as well as the movie of course um i think throughout the 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 four movies it's been very very clear how faithful they were to the books at any given time there's very very little changes uh very minor the only thing that they've done obviously because they need to fit uh you know 400 pages of book into two hours of movie uh, they've taken away some of the characters that perhaps people loved in the books but not to the story's detriment which is great um so the the last book in particular um I found obviously we were all expecting it to be full of action uh, there's a lot of running around there's a lot of fighting there's a lot of um um characters that we've grown to love that unfortunately are cut down by by uh, necessity you know n- none of the deaths are are just there are you saying that my favorite characters are about to die here probably Excellent. probably oh it's so sad um the thing in the book is because it's a book you can you're reading it and you can pause and mourn and and digest the movie um was so fast-paced that when certain characters died you found yourself unable to sort of even cry like it was really hard for me um i thought i would blob in my i would be blobbing my eyes out i would be like sobbing by the end of it uh, in fact out of all the movies that this is the one that i've cried the least there is one scene in particular where i just cracked um and but it's like very very close to the end of the movie um there's there's a few characters that died but there's two main characters that you learn to um love throughout the the first the second and the third book um and when the first of these two dies it's it's such a high paced scene that you kind of like oh oh the dad did that just happen uh okay but there's too much going on i can't i can't stop and think about that i need to move on that's an interesting point because that happens in the harry potter movies as well yes when hedwig dies in the books it's a big deal oh god oh god but, see but, but in the movie hedwig just dies and yeah, it's like, and you just that just happened, but I can't, I can't stop. I need to keep looking, and there's just too much going on for me to to have that moment of oh, let let me just have a little cry because you know that that person or animal that I loved so much is gone. Um, and I found that very much with with the with the book until the end when it finally both the book and the movie slow down to a certain pace, and you then left with your thoughts about you know the story and and where it got you and the people that got lost along the way uh, and as i said i there's this particular scene with prim's cat um returning to to their home um in the victor's village in district 12 um and that's the bit that just slayed me i was like oh no i need to cry now really hard so mockingjay is only what 150 pages long something like that um it's about 450 yeah. So, did it need two? Bo- did it need two movies? I think it did. 
I because of the detail they've gone through, and as I said, you're talking lifting dialogue out of the book precisely, out like word by word almost. Isn't, um, isn't 450 pages fairly long for the book? I thought that was relatively uh, long. Uh, no, I would say Hungry average is about 300 pounds. Yeah, yeah. Pounds? Pages. pages. 300 pages. Um, if, if, if we've got an example of the book with us, can somebody on the other side of the desk to me hold it up? Um, well, what's that's Mockingjay, and that's 450, and this is uh, this is the Invisible Library, and this is 350. Mm. That, so, that, that's, so 450 that, is a bit long. Yeah. It's a little bit longer, yeah. Yeah, it's 450. I, I, suspe I suspect if you're, if you're not going to lose way too much stuff to the edit, it probably does need two movies. No, it, it did. And mm. I, I because the first part of the book, I mean, even in the book, there's a certain there's a certain difference between between the pace. So you start the pace and there's everything about 13 and there's Katniss's mental state and, and um, Peter um, and uh, being saved and, and etc. And then it gets to a point where it's it's almost more of a reflection on everything that's been going on and how the characters have sort of coped with it. And then it's the second part of the book and the movie it's the action so the storm the capital's arsenal which is in district two and then they attack the capital and it builds up to the end of the war and what happens afterwards so i i personally liked it i i i wasn't very sure about what they were going to do in the two movies but it actually works for me seeing them back to back that made better sense so if you've got the time and your local cinema's doing something similar, uh, do it. Just go and watch them both together. If you've got the DVD, the Blu-ray, the video, whatever your medium is, watch the first part right before you go to the cinema and then watch the second because it will give you a better narrative with them together. But I, I certainly think that, that giving it five hours instead of just two <laughs> and a half is is a brilliant, a, a brilliant decision. Um, so... Um, if you haven't read The Hunger Games and you've watched the movies, heartily recommend go and pick up the books as well. If you've read the books and haven't watched the movies, do it. Even if you think the casting wasn't right, even if you've got uh, ideas about, oh no, it can never be as good, I think it's a great companion to, to the story visually. Um, if you haven't seen the movies or the books, dear Lord, just get yourself to <laughs> to a bookstore now and if you've been listening to the show for this long and you still think that the hunger games is anything like twilight what are you doing what are you just not <laughs> listening are you, are, you, are you just not even reading the back of the book Come no on. Just they are they are it's a it's you know it's a dystopia it's a you could argue that it's a teenage power fantasy because this is a young adult book and yes we'll have that conversation at some point but it's brilliant but it's you know it's 1984 for the millennial gen generation Let's talk about that coming up next, maybe. Starburst Magazine. Starburst Magazine. The world's longest-running magazine of sci-fi horror and fantasy. Get the latest news, features, interviews, and reviews from your favorite genre. Available from a newsagent near you or download to your iPad today. So, yeah. Um, 
<laughs> Are you coming to the tree? Anyway. Oh. <laughs> it, 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 I just go pick up on something you said. The, the issue about did it need two movies? Yeah, if you start editing stuff out, it, it, you lose so much. It's like Harry Potter. There's so much of the little bits of world stuff in Harry Potter that, that go because the they have to be edited out for length in the movies. And, and I think that did, stuff is, yeah. you know, they still did eight movies because they yeah. still split the, the still last one yeah. in two. Um, but had it had it been possible, uh, the first two books, yeah, one movie, anything after that, in fact, maybe the first three, four, five, six and seven, they would have been easily two movies. Yeah, so I, that's something the point which the books got huge, isn't it? They did get huge because, you know, mm. power of the writer at that point was... And um, desperate, desperate need for sub-edit. Uh, still, I quite like that they didn't because mm. I enjoyed those little bits of world yeah. information yeah, absolutely. that yeah, were absolutely. unnecessary to the narrative <laughs> but just added so much. Yeah. I, I would like to also commend producer Al's bravery for, um, for, for, for deciding to work all the way to becoming a, a editor and getting the account that is J.K. Rowling and then deciding to stand up to her because I wouldn't do that. Um, no, no, yes. nobody would, which is why the books were 1,200 pages long. But it doesn't matter because actually she could carry them. Uh, other writers, not so sure. <coughs> but Stephen I, King. Uh, <coughs> oh, yeah, Stephen King can do that. But but still, you know, there's See, not many that can do that and still keep you entertained, even with the little t- bits that don't necessarily relate to the story you're telling. But with her, the, the world was just too big not to enjoy those mm, those snippets. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I love I love the immense amount of stuff around the Quidditch World Cup. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, most of which, I've, virtually all of which, went by the wayside in the movie. So I think this yes. is one one of the reasons why uh, you know nerds should be allowed to to make more movies. To be quite honest, mm. because. I would absolutely give me give me a ha- handful of uh, role playing game franchises to use that world building to create. Give me a Planescape movie. Give me a Forgotten Realms movie. Mm. Don't give me a Driz Durden based on the always Salvatore movies. I don't care about those books. Give me fantasy worlds. We 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 get ourselves. We were going to we were going to talk about dystopian young adult here, but we we're talking about fantasy worlds. And I suppose it ties into the the um, Genevieve of common books at the top top of the show. Yeah. The, the appeal of the Mask City is she effortlessly builds this world. At the very start, you know, she she puts together this. Oh, it is amazing. We just want to dive in and explore the, these kind of amazing multifaceted worlds, and that's the appeal of Harry Potter, and that's the appeal of the Hunger Games. Is the world building? Yes, definitely. More, more, more definitely. And that's the appeal of any great book, really, and any of the big franchises. You know, look at the Lord of the Rings. Oh, totally it's the world. Totally it's just the world. Be and and there's these little sweet beams that go around um, Facebook where you go. Here's your twelve doors. Which one would you knock? And the geek's head explodes because how do you choose between you know Hogwarts and? Taught us every time. It's the wish that gives you all the wishes. Because <laughs> then you can go anywhere else. Oh. You go through into the TARDIS. But, um, yeah. So from the TARDIS, we probably should escape. Yeah, because if only we had more time and space. Ah.
So it's goodbye from me, Ed Fortune. And goodbye from me, Nympha Hayes. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by uh, Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes. Produced by A.L. Johnson.